Hey, thanks very much indeed for showing up for this episode eight of The Wrap, the What's Racing About podcast. My name is Peter Bell, and this is a podcast to ensure that you get the most out of UK and Irish horse racing. It'll seem a bit strange to start with an apology, but I was busy putting together the next podcast, which was going to go out in around mid-October, wetting our collective whistles about the forthcoming jump season. That was the plan right up until last Sunday morning when the rap Twitter and text feeds went nuts about events at Newmarket on Saturday. I'm not talking about Jamie Spencer's ice-cold ride on Bedouin Story to win the Cambridgeshire, or Coribus being cut down in the shadow of the post by Royal Patronage in an engrossing Royal Lodge stakes. That was the good stuff. You all know what I'm on about here, and that's the depressing spectacle of the post-race punch-up in the main stand at the Rolly Mile. Another chapter in the seemingly endless tragedy of violence between race cars that's played out at festivals and race days increasingly over this summer. If the rap's going to live up to our mission of ensuring you get the most from UK and Irish horse racing, then it's incumbent we take a view on this stuff. And so, well, here's my take on this. Now, the tone of the rap is, as I hope, about having a laugh and having a say and not taking our sport too deathly seriously. In racing, you can make the finest quality friendships and have some cracking memories that'll live with you for your life. And that's great. And that's the scenario on offer for 99.9% of us, 99.9% of the time we hit the race course. But you can't sweep race car violence under the carpet and pretend it's not there. And certainly not when you come out of the loo in the main stand at Newmarket to be confronted with a gang of muscular blokes taking swings at each other with one picking up a heavy table to use as a weapon. That's not the racing world I know or recognise, but it's there. It's happening regularly and it has to be stopped. But it's also difficult to be anything other than another generic talking head in coming up with any meaningful answers. It's as obvious as a Godolphin thoroughbred in a Catterick claimer that summer race days need heavier and more visible policing. York took this option at the Ebor Festival in August and there were no reports, to my knowledge, of any on-course violence over those four days. Yes, this will add to a racecourse's costs at a time when they're getting back on their feet after the COVID crisis. And as a father-in-law to two Met policemen, I know it's not a simple task to just whistle up a few more boys and girls in blue to patrol a race event. But what price lousy public relations for a racecourse? And more importantly, what price racegoer safety? Whilst heavier policing is a more immediate cure, prevention is always better. So what can racing do to rid itself of the kind of people who feel their day isn't complete until they've punched the snot out of another race goer? I've heard it said that the marketing of racing focuses on getting drinkers into the course because they spend a lot of money, which is, quote, good for the sport. Now, I don't buy that. I mean, literally, I don't buy that. With a pint of Guinness at the Arkle Bar at the Cheltenham Festival in 2020 costing, from memory, around about six quid. Now, that's not racing appealing to drinkers. If you want to get cabbaged on a summer Saturday, I'll venture to suggest paying 20, 30, 40 quid to get into a race course in order to spend six quid on a pint is definitely not racing appealing to boozers. They're probably found in the local Weatherspoons, caning the two cocktail pitches for £12 offers. In fact, I'd go as far as to challenge anyone to show me how racing is actively marketing itself as a place where one can go to drink heavily. Besides, and let's get this out there, this whole depressing spectacle is now just as likely to be fuelled by drugs, specifically cocaine. I've witnessed several grams of Columbia's finest being snorted in the toilets at Newmarket prior to the 2000 guineas a few years ago. So for me, racing doesn't promote itself as a boozer's paradise. 
Of course, you can drink, yes, to excess if you want to, at a race course, just as you can at a pub, a hotel room, a football or rugby match, the Ryder Cup, or in your own front room. Where racing has let itself down, I feel, is not promoting itself as a place where good manners and good behaviour is expected and encouraged. What? Has the podcast guy lost his mind? Good manners? Swap me. He'll be going about chivalry next, for God's sake. Yes, I unashamedly will. Over 20 years ago, in her book, The Racing Tribe, the social anthropologist Kate Fox wrote a fascinating account of watching the horse watchers. Us, race guys and racing folk. The book is still available, and in my opinion, it's a must-read for anyone who genuinely does buy into the rap strap line and wants to get more out of UK and Irish race going. Here's a few lines Miss Fox wrote about racegoer etiquette. And yes, I know, reading other people's stuff is just oh so lame and lightweight in a podcast. And for the most part, anyone indulging in that kind of filler can just go die. But it's only a short piece, so stick with me here, folks. Here we go. Kate Fox on the code of chivalry amongst racegoers. At the races, it is universally understood that all women are ladies and must be treated with due courtesy and respect. This belief is deeply ingrained among the natives, and the unwritten law prescribing courteous treatment of females appears to be transmitted by osmosis to even the most loutish newcomer. Somehow, males with no natural inclination towards chivalrous behaviour find themselves exercising unaccustomed restraint and decorum. She then goes on. The Racing Tribe's Code of Chivalry does not mean that every male who passes through the gates of a racecourse becomes an instant Jane Austen hero. They still stare and wink and make nudge-nudge comments about you to their mates, but it does impose a degree of restraint, resulting in much better manners than one would expect from the same males in other settings. That was 20 years ago. Is that still the case in 2021? What do you think? Kate goes on to exude enthusiasm for and explain racing's innate sense of hospitality, friendliness and willingness to help. If you want a literary reference point from further back in time, then Joe Palmer wrote in the New York Herald Tribune in the pre-war years of the levelling effect that racing has on its participants and spectators, with the immortal line, All men are equal on the turf and under it. And that's a line that I always go with when talking about racing to non-racing people. The simple joy of interacting across all social classes, genders, races, colours, creeds, based on nothing more than you both turned up at the racecourse. I'm convinced the divisions in our country, Brexiteers versus Leavers, political left versus political right, Oasis versus Blur. OK, ask your parents about that, right, kids? I'm sure all those could be solved by one side inquiring, what do you fancy in the 240 at your Toxter before they say anything else? OK, well, maybe not. But race courses and race goers are, for the most part, open-hearted, civil and decent people. But racing seems so eager to downplay that as old-fashioned and fuddy-duddy. It doesn't actively push the notion of respect for all and treating each other with courtesy. Hell's teeth, I feel like I'm asking for racing to turn itself into the Sidney Poitier character in the film To Sir With Love, where he plays a teacher who demands his tough East End students address each other as Miss and Mister and himself as Sir. Now, I wouldn't go that far, but in this headlong pursuit of new, moneyed racegoers, we seem to have lost some of our soul and some of the wonderful tradition and culture that makes racing special and different, where the aristocrat and the sink estate resident can turn up, be entertained and share a day in close proximity without feeling they've got to knock seven bells out of each other. 
practically, how do you go about this? I don't know. Notes in a race card? A code of conduct sent out with the badges or printed on notices around the race course? Announcements on the PA, maybe? I mean, how difficult is it for some people just to be cool? Sadly, the answer seems very. If people can't be cool, then they need to eviscerate him from our sport with lifetime bans. And I know that's been advocated by spokesmen such as Matt Chapman. Other than that, I don't know what the answer is. Evolve, maybe. A quick refocus on events on the racecourse then. And this weekend sees Europe's richest race, the Prix de l'Arc de Triomphe, take place on Sunday at Longchamp in Paris. Keep everything crossed that all the horses declared at this stage, and I'm recording this on the Wednesday beforehand, they all stand their ground because if they do, this could be one of the standout races of our age. Everyone who should be there is there. St Mark's Basilica was never going to try and extend his stamina to a mile and four furlongs and potentially compromise his stud value with a defeat. And now he's retired anyway. But you've got the cream of the crop of middle distance horses in the world, bar North America, where they're saving their equine stars for the Breeders' Cup meeting next month. You've got them fighting it out. Horses from Britain, Ireland, Japan... France, over the 12 furlongs of prime Parisian real estate on Sunday afternoon. Do not miss this if you're a racing fan. If your pulse only quickens when there's obstacles involved in a horse race, though, there's a cracking little hors d'oeuvre to the main national hunt season over in Ireland on Sunday, too. At Tipperary, Abacadabras, Jason the Militant, Soldier and Felix Deji are the early decorations for the 130 Grade 3 two-mile hurdle. And there's a hot little two-and-a-half-mile graded novice chase to follow at 345. I'd love to offer up some penetrating insights and righteous truths about events in both Paris and Ireland, but to be honest, I've studied neither in any great depth, and I refuse to just phone in some generic platitudes you can get way better expressed than I could from other leading industry sources. If I ever offer up anything in the way of analysis of forthcoming races, I hope what I do will be unique. Okay, well, that was all a bit of a downer in this episode, almost like a Smith's record on Valium. I promise to restore my natural, upbeat, fun bloke persona in episode 9, which I'm thinking will probably be out in around about a fortnight, and will feature an in-depth preview of the jump season, as well as Champions Day at Ascot. So, here's hoping you're surviving petrol shortages and the return of Strictly. Thanks for downloading this episode, and for our interactions on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. It sure does mean a lot. For now though, that's a wrap. <laughs> <laughs>